Welcome to B2B Sales Trends, the podcast dedicated to sales leaders in the B2B space, where we share conversations about innovative and successful sales transformations to keep you up to date on the latest trends. This podcast is brought to you by Global Performance Group. All right. Welcome, everybody, to uh, the next episode of B2B Sales Trends. In this segment, this is a cool kind of different segment. Um, in this segment, uh, we call this our In the Trenches segment. So um, Harry's not hosting today, unfortunately. It's us. Um, but we're super stoked um, you know, to be here and um, to talk through you know, sales and you know, the revenue engine from all aspects. Um, you know, very applicable tidbits for um, everybody out there. And from our experience as a team, um, all three of us are part of the GPG team. Um, me, myself, so I didn't even introduce myself. I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm Will Reddick. I'm the head of marketing for Global Performance Group. Um, and uh, super excited to be here. I'm a, I'm a pickleball fanatic. Um, that's kind of my thing right now that I'm, I'm addicted to, um, and going to be providing today in this episode about, uh, making the, what makes the ideal sales rep, building your ideal rep profile. And, uh, we see this as a really, you know, critical component of, you know, uh, building your, up uh, your sales team about sales readiness, um, and all of those really important things. And we're going to be providing our perspectives from, from different angles on this. Um, we also have um, Michael, who's getting ready to introduce himself, and Connor, who's going to get ready to introduce uh, himself. You know, Michael's our, our head of sales, and Connor is our head of, um, you know, customer and, um, you know, client, uh, client services. Um, so we're kind of trying to provide, you know, the perspective of all the folks in the trenches, on the ground, from the perspective of the, of the revenue engine. So to start off, uh, Michael... Can you give us a little breakdown on yourself? Certainly. Michael Muscatello here. Um, I cut my teeth uh, working as an inside sales rep uh, for a number of years for a home heating oil company. I moved into the sales trainer role, and that's where I developed an appetite for the, the learning process, human behavior. You know, at the end of the day, sales is psychology, and, and psychology is really the study of, of life and how we exist in it. Um, I've spent thousands of hours diving into all sorts of lectures on psychology, um, psychoanalysis. This is a really big passion for me. How do we humanize ourselves? Uh, how do we humanize our interactions with each other? Um, outside of my professional life, I am a wrestler. I compete in jujitsu. I'm getting married on August 20th. Very, very excited. My relationship is probably the thing that I am the proudest of in my life. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, bar none. Uh, and, uh, you know, I just wanted to uh, maybe to, to talk about how some of my extracurriculars plays into uh, my role here at GPG and, and the success of our company. You know, being a competitor and, and being in an environment that is extremely high stakes and high tension, you know, you have somebody on top of you that's trying to elbow you in the mouth. You get used to dealing with tension. You get used to be like being in tense situations and, um, you know, being in relationship with another person. It's all about collaboration. It's all about co-creating the ideal outcome for both parties. And that's really where I see uh, the, the, the present of successful sales and the future of, of sales uh, to be is in co-creation, is in creating real outcomes. Um, it's not uh, you're not in the boiler any room. Uh, boiler room anymore, you know, trying to do whatever you can to get a consumer to buy a, a, a nice investment in, in some property where things are going to, prices are going to rise. So anyway, um, I'm trailing off here. Thanks for letting me introduce myself, Connor. I'm going to hand it over to you. 
Well, real quick, Michael. So are you telling me to get better at sales? All we have to do is get elbowed in the mouth a little bit. And that's, uh, that's going to prep us for the tension. It's one ingredient. It's one ingredient for sure. (laughs) I mean, Hey, look, you know, and I kind of want to highlight something here. It's interesting because wrestlers always say, you know, once you've wrestled, everything else in life is easy. And the reality is, is that Emotional intelligence and communication and dealing with the tension of interpersonal circumstances versus just physical circumstances, it is just as difficult. And there is a high level of attention and effort that needs to be put into sharpening those skills and and becoming comfortable in those situations. Now, if you can remember that, you know, you have been on top of someone elbowing them in the mouth and received that yourself, it it makes everything seem a lot less high stakes. Uh, But uh, but no, I'm glad that you asked. And, you know, on one hand, yes. But on the other hand, you know, EQ is, uh, it, it takes work. Awesome intro. Uh, my name is Connor Spiritus. I'm head of the client success uh, department at Global Performance Group. First off, uh, I am not a wrestler. The, the closest I get to wrestling is watching some UFC on the weekends. And uh, it's awesome to watch. I'm glad I'm not in that. Uh, it does look <laughs> like it would hurt getting hit in the mouth like that. Um, some background on me. Uh, again, I've been at GPG here for, for roughly a year and a half, and it's been really exciting getting, getting to see what Will described as the breakdown of the sale in all different departments of our company, going from marketing to the head of sales, and then myself as client success when I'm dealing with our customers. Uh, I think one of the really important things to see is that in that client success role, is it's not just being someone's friend. You're really developing that relationship and figuring out what it is that this team for that particular client needs to make their sales team better, how they're going to produce um, and kind of getting to also develop the relationship. It, it's been a nice experience. So I'm really excited to dive into all the topics today, uh, Will. And I, I think that's a good intro. I guess outside, outside of work, I like basketball. I like to walk on the beach with my puppy. I feel like I'm on like a game show, um, but no. So it's, I'm not I'm the only betrothed, you like, Connor. <laughs> you like long walks not, on the beach? All right. Hey, now that I'm out in Charleston, I'm a Midwest body, so it's been fun being out on the coast. So with that, I will hand it over to you. Let's jump into it. Okay, cool. Um, so you didn't talk about how I was dominating you in fantasy football in our in our uh in our team league. Um <laughs> look, I like that you're the one bringing this up because if, if I if I'm not mistaken, if I go look, I'm pretty sure I went home with the hardware. You, you did, did give me a nice little you run. It, look, if, if a negative one from your defense to get me into the championship, I've never seen that happen before, but I'm happy it, it was me <laughs> on top of you with an elbow hitting you in the oh, face. Oh, elbow so. to the mouth. There we go. Yep. Cool. Exactly right. Look, that has I, been I I'm to, excited for this year. Sorry, Will. I think I heard before you talking about coming in within one point of beating Connor in one week out of this season. Was that a win for you? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was not. <laughs> so, looking forward to this next season that's coming up here shortly. But be a good uh, one. anyway, now you've deflated my balloon. You popped my my uh, fantasy football balloon. Thanks, Michael. Um, but anyway, talk about staying in the tension. Now, let's talk about. Um, let's jump into the topic of today: um, sales readiness. Right. Um, you know, it's something, you know, in particular, we have a lot of uh, listeners that are, you know, sales and sales enablement leaders. Um, and so, you know, again, we're kind of we're providing our perspective. We're not the guys with 30, 40 years of, you know, of experience. Right. 
Um, we are, you know, providing our perspective on working with clients on a regular basis with, you know, on prepping their sales teams, getting their sales teams to success. We, we all play, all three of us play uh, a, a pivotal role in that for Global Performance Group. You know, we're a, a corporate training company that specifically we're like, you know, our bread, our bread and butter. Uh, and, you know, what we're, what we're really good at is, is sales training in, in particular. Um, and so when we think about sales readiness and, you know, what that means and what that is and, and, you know, how critical that is for, um, sales, what does that mean to you guys? From my understanding and my feeling, it is giving everyone a common language, a common sales language to speak and being able to utilize that to engage with the right stakeholders and, uh, and get to the right people. So that's where I'd start. Yeah. If I can comment on that, Connor, <clears throat> just because for me, a common language is something that is so key. It is so important. And it's something that I see so infrequently uh, in, in the marketplace is that, you know, there's product training. Um, there's even pitch training, right, where, where individuals are trained on how to present a product and how to talk about the technical details to a client. But when it comes to the actual dialogue that we're having, when it comes to the actual, you know, conversational tools that we're applying, uh, a lot of people don't have them in the first place. And let's say, you know, you have a your sales rep that, that does the work to study, you know, top sales skills today and, and, and improves themselves. If they don't have the same common language uh, that a manager might have, when they sit down for a coaching session, I'm sure that it will help, but they don't have any common ground or common pillars to be basing that conversation on. And so I really like that you brought that up because I think for me as well, that is the core of, of sales readiness. No, that, that makes a lot of sense, both of you guys talking through this. And, um, you know, when you talk about a common language, um, you know, specifically, um, in the, in the way that we think about it, so can you, could you break that down a little bit further? What, what does co common language mean to you? If you don't mind, Michael, I'll jump in first. So Please. from, from my day to day on the client success side of things, a lot of the time that I'm engaging with our clients is, I end up getting to learn how they feel after a workshop or a program. And I get to learn, hey, these skills and tools and the knowledge that they took, that they're all, that which parts of it is hitting the hardest with that specific customer or that client. Uh, from that, you get to learn, is everyone going to be using those skills and, and how are they going to be using it? Because then it becomes more of a culture thing within, a, within an organization. And if you're able to instill the same values and skills into that culture and they're able to use that and churn out, whether that's creating more volume uh, to their business, whether it's better margins. Um, I mean, that, that's obviously the goal of a sales organization. Michael, you have any comment on it? Yeah. So, so this is uh, what is a common language? And I'll keep myself super brief and, and simple here. You know, do you have a common questioning technique, a way, a methodology that you build questions to ask a client? Do you have a common methodology for building engaging statements that are meant to engage a client's attention? Um, do you have a list of five, six, seven, eight skills that are necessary to implement at various points throughout the sales process? Do you have a <clears throat> common method of overcoming objections? And are there a few bullets that you have on that that will help a rep to remember the foundation of how they should be responding in, in different scenarios. Common language is as simple as mapping out, you know, five, six things that you need to be doing, uh, depending on the point in time and the conversation of the call and what you're trying to accomplish. No, that makes a lot of sense. And then, and then practice, right? Mm -hmm. I think that's one thing that, you know, uh, we can all definitely agree on 
is, you know, there's the, that piece of the, the common language, understanding the content, understanding the product. Um, all of those things are really key components, but you know, you want your, your, your ideal reps, anybody in, in your organization, um, to be very well versed in that. And so I think one thing that we've talked about before, and even on, um, you know, listening to some of Harry's previous podcast, I think he had a podcast with Daniel Hayden, um, uh, from Google, um, who's the, their head of uh, global curriculum, if I remember correctly, um, where they talked about, you know, content light, you know, application mm-hmm. and practice heavy, right? So um, yes. that's a really, you know, interesting, interesting concept to me as I was listening through that episode. And I think that applies here as well. So yeah, um, in terms of sales readiness, um, you know, and just me kind of, you know, thinking about it a little bit, I, it seems like there's lots of different, you know, components to it from, you know, defining what the standards are, right? Um, defining what, you know, some, like what excellence is, what is ideal, right? Um, and understanding that, you know, building up that knowledge, building up the knowledge of your, yeah, I feel like knowledge uh, is comprised of so many different things, right? So knowledge of, you know, uh, of your content, knowledge of, um, you know, the way that you, that co- I feel like a lot of that is the common language, right? That mm-hmm. you guys are talking mm-hmm. about. Um, and, uh, and a lot of that also tied into what some people refer to as soft skills, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which, you know, again, in order to, to get that mastery, that requires the application part. And then another component uh, for me, when I think about this sales readiness stuff is, you know, uh, content alignment. So that I think that that ties in like my role in, in the, the revenue engine, tying in marketing and the sales enablement folks, making sure that the sales team has the content that they need, um, you know, at different parts of the, of the funnel and different parts of the process with different types of clients and personas and things like that. So that's another aspect of sales readiness as I see it. Um, obviously I'm, 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 I'm biased on that part. Cause I'm like, <laughs> I want to make sure that you guys have the coolest stuff that you, that you can. Um, yeah. and then, um, there's another aspect of it. There's like a measurement and analysis aspect of it where you're really, you know, you're looking at the performance of your reps you're seeing, mm-hmm. you know, how they're doing in terms of meeting those, um, key performance indicators, you know, um, how many meetings they're having a week, how successful are they are, how successful are they with those meetings? Um, you know, and if you have some kind of tool where you're also able to analyze those conversations and kind of see, you know, oh, maybe this, you know, this question could have been asked here. Maybe this, you know, uh, maybe this nugget of value could have been, you know, used in this situation or, you know, hey, could have handled that objection in a different way. I think, you know, analyzing the performance in that way and providing that coaching and that feedback is is critical. And I think the last aspect of sales readiness is that, you know, optimizing of behavior of, you know, really, you know, digging deep, getting that coaching, getting that, you know, the kind of SME input and all those kinds of things. So I see those as all aspects of sales readiness. Um, but, and I think that ties into, you know, what we're talking about today is, you know, the ideal rep profile, the IRP. Um, and so for us, you know, we all know, especially me, like I need to know as a marketing guy, like I need to know all about the ideal customer profile, right? I need to know who our ideal client is, you know, what does that, what does that look like industry wise, 
um, size of the company, um, our, you know, roles and all that kind of stuff, demographics, like digging deep into that kind of stuff. It's so important for, for marketing and for sales. Right. But what about your rep profiles? Right. What is that? Um, what does that look like? What does that mean? What is an ideal rep profile? Uh, Michael, could you, could you dig into that? What is it? What does that mean to you? Yeah. What is an ideal rep profile? You know, I wanted to just comment on one thing that you said a moment ago in terms of how to analyze performance. I don't know who needs to hear this today, but purely numbers-based performance analysis will lead to broken pipelines and broken sales reps and broken relationships between managers and salespeople. You know, uh, KPIs are absolutely necessary for determining where are we going and where do we need to go, right? Where are we at currently and where do we need to improve? But it does nothing to explain what were the things that we did that led to this performance number, um, you know. And and of course, uh, it's important to. Uh, uh, well, yeah, I think I think that's all that I had to say there. Um, so can I can I jump in really quick too, Michael, and add one sure, quick thing sure. before you jump in? Is I think Will did a great job explaining the other side of that sales readiness and something that pops into my head on the, on from the client success side of things is once you get to that point of that coaching and reinforcement, the new skills that are being ingrained into your teams, those are the ones, as much as it is great that you're you're really learning and teaching about those, those are the ones that need the most help and need to be coached to and, and practiced or they're not going to stick. Um, right. But I just wanted to put that in there before we jump right. subject. So you go for it, Michael. Yeah. So what is an ideal rep profile? An ideal rep profile is, uh, in some ways, it's an attempt to swim against the, the laws of nature. And I'll explain what I mean by that in a second. Um, but an ideal rep profile, it's an attempt to make the intangible tangible. It's an attempt to place uh, uh, helpful measurements on, um, a, on a representative to determine how successful they'll be for your organization and at your organization. Um, it's a method and we'll talk about it. We'll break it down a little bit further, but you know, what is an ideal rep profile and what is the purpose of it? You know, some of our listeners may be familiar with the Pareto, uh, distribution and put really simply, it's this law where 20% of, let's say a workforce is going to contribute to 80% of the productivity in that workforce. But this is not just something that's found in the workplace. Okay. 20% of the mountain ranges in the world take up 80% of the mass of mountains in the world. 20% of the stars uh, in a galaxy have 80% of the planets in a galaxy. This is a unavoidable and unfortunate natural law when it comes to the way our workforce operates and the levels of efficiency that we can expect to see. Um, So the IRP is a method for us to swim against the law of nature and make it so that all of our workforce is contributing. The goal is not for them to be contributing equally, right? But it's to make that other uh, 80% of people as high performing as the 20% that are contributing 80% of the business, if that makes any sense, right? So um, why is it important to have an IRP? It's exactly that. We're trying to uh, streamline and and make maximally efficient our workforce so that the Pareto distribution doesn't have to apply. And each individual, we are we are confident that they are contributing maximally in their role uh, and performing their role to the best of their ability. That is a really good explanation. I really like that, especially like the the Neil deGrasse Tyson um, look that you <laughs> that you provided <laughs> into that. Um, yeah, I've heard the eighty twenty rule. Definitely heard that that eighty twenty rule. Um, that's really really interesting. Um, 
And um, the way that you broke down the benefits of that um, was really powerful um, in, in kind of like, you know, maximizing the performance of that other, um, the others, as, as some <laughs> might refer to that. Um, that's cool. Okay. So um, what are your thoughts, Connor? Let's, let's break it down a little bit. What elements do you think? So we know about the benefits of an, of an IRP. Now we know what an IRP is. Um, super useful in, you know, in hiring potentially. Um, is that kind of how you see it too? What elements do you think should make up an IRP? And then how do you think an IRP should be used? It goes back to some of the things I talked about first when it comes to being able to have that, that common language. And I really feel like it's being able to engage with the stakeholders that are in front of you. I think that it comes from, yes, obviously when you're a new salesperson coming into a new sales organization, yes, you need to know what you're selling uh, product or service, but being able to share that and, and talk to the audience that you need to speak to, whether it's a CEO, whether it's a director of sales, whether it's a procurement professional, um, I think that understanding that process is just vital in being able to have an, I, an IRP that you're executing on. Um, and I think that starts with the onboarding process. I think that if you're not able to bring your people in and up to speed to what we're talking about, that, that 20% that is uh, succeeding and over succeeding their goals are superseding them. Uh, it's not that you're going to fail, but you're not setting yourself up for success in, in my opinion. So that's kind of my feeling, Will. One of the things that I find, and, and I would like to share, you know, what I think make up an essential uh, IRP measurement, the types of things that we should be seeking to measure with an IRP. Um, what I'm not going to talk about is, you know, does, does, the, does the individual understand and, and leverage the working knowledge of our company processes and policies? Do they understand the bullet points about the pro product, the, 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 the specifications of the product, the legality surrounding our product. This tends to be something that companies have really well uh, nailed down. I see a lot of the, the firms that we specialize in working with, they have a highly technical product offering and they go through, they, they already have in place a very successful system of making sure that the rep is able to speak about their product properly. Um, for me, what makes the real difference in the effectiveness of a sales rep is, is not how well they can talk about features and benefits. It comes down to how well they can quickly uh, engage a buyer's attention. And then once they have that buyer's attention, how well can they build trust with that buyer so that when they drop tidbits of product knowledge and nuggets of value, that's not just bouncing off the buyer. Because right? I say this all the time, you could be the most suave salesperson in the world with the best lines and the most impactful data. And all of it means absolutely nothing if there's not an emotional connection with the individual that you're working with. And that means different things for different people. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I really wanted to highlight what's, what's important to have as part of an IRP. Uh, of course, knowledge of competitors is important. Of course, product knowledge and, and, and data and being able to run through the pitch deck is, is very important. And you'll find this in a list of, you, you look up IRP, you'll find this on every single list out there, you know, these must-haves. But most companies already have that. What I see a lack of is the soft skills, which are really, in my opinion, <clears throat> the hard skills. They are not the so difficult soft. skills. Yeah. They're the hard ones to master, <laughs> right? So- yeah. Did a lot of talk in there. Um, if I could just list out a couple, how quickly uh, and effectively can we engage the buyer? Um, how quickly can we build trust and how effectively can we build trust with the buyer? 
how well are we able to generate needs? Um, how well are we able to overcome objections uh, and use those objections as an opportunity to surface what else might be lurking beneath the the, uh, the surface for the customer, right? And 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 how effective are we at ultimately moving the sale down the pipeline? Not in a way that feels salesy and and full of pressure, right? But in a way that the customer understands what you're doing and the the closing step that you're asking for is in their best interest, right? What you're doing is not just for the sake of getting to yes, but that uh, what you're asking for is in their best interest. So, without. Uh, yeah, th those are some of the skills that for me would make up an ideal rep profile. Uh, measuring those skills, that's a whole nother story. Um, but uh, yeah. No, that's, um, that's super helpful. So, so when I, when we initially like thought about this topic and, you know, having this as, as a conversation for our first in the trenches segment, um, you know, I really thought about this in terms of kind of like, you know, my my past life in the military right mm -hmm. and i would have to explain this I, I i really like kind of like this methodical very intentional approach to establishing what it means to be successful in your role right being able to break down the different categories um and when i would explain it because i used to i used to work as a trainer um in the military for my uh the the the, the role that i filled and so i would have to explain to folks hey you know this one, two, three, four, five, six, um, you know, you're going to go through training for each one of these things. Um, and they build on each other, you know? Um, so if you can, you know, the goal is mastery, 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 the best, you know, uh, the, in the best way that you can. And so for me, like having that in my mind, like when I was going through that and then also being able to present that to, you know, um, the military members and, you know, uh, that were, you know, trying to master their, their skill sets. Um, it was so incredibly beneficial. Like it provided you that perspective, right? Like, um, I know what it is I need to do in order to become really good at my job, you know? And it was the same for me when I moved into marketing after the military, it was, you know, um, all right, first step I need to, you know, copywriting. I want to be able to, to, to write copy really well. Um, I really want to understand, um, you know, uh, the processes behind, you know, graphic design and, you know, video development and all that kind of stuff, you know, all, all of these things. Um, and then, you know, then I had like the big picture of, you know, strategy and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, what makes the most sense, the most, uh, the most being up to date on the most recent um, kind of tactics and all that kind of stuff. So for, for me, um, I think that's in any role that you do. Um, if you want to be really good and successful at what you do, you know, break it down. You know, Kobe Bryant, my favorite basketball player of all time. Same thing is like, you know, oh, what's my weakness? Oh, I, you know, this year I'm going to be very intentional about, you know, working in for anybody that's not a basketball fan. I apologize for, for the, the quick little, you know, 30 second blurb that I'm about to spit out right now. But, you know, uh, there was a time in Kobe Bryant's career where he couldn't work well with his back to the basket. Right. Um, so what did he do? He, he talked to Michael Jordan about the way that he did it. He talked to Hakeem Olajuwon, who was one of the greatest post players of all time. And he really focused on filling that gap. And, you know, he was very methodical about it. Every time he went out to practice, uh, he was very, um, you know, uh, very focused on, you know, filling that gap and, um, you know, 
building himself to be the best that he could possibly be. And that's how I see this as well. As we talk about the IRP, it's, it's, you know, really breaking down what those skills are and, you know, figuring out what your people need in order to be that ideal rep. So. And can you imagine if, if, you know, if, if Kobe Bryant was just like, well, I need to score more points. I need to get more assists. That's what my problem is. I need to work on scoring more points. Right. How successful would he have been? It's right? so, but by it's breaking so it down, yeah. <laughs> by yeah. breaking my back to the basket, I got to work on my back to the basket. That is right. really, I think what we're talking about when we say, uh, we need to know what is contributing to our KPIs. What are the components of conversation and dialogue in the sales process that contribute to the results that we get? Um, right. But Will, I wanted to ask you, my curiosity, I know I, it was peaked. I think you said there was something like six key competencies or skill sets in the military that you needed to, to uh, uh, have mastery of in order to be a successful contributor in the military. Can, can you share with us what those, those skill sets were? Um, so when I'm a talk, so I taught... Um, you know, military linguists. That was my, that was my, my job in the military. So, um, particularly, you know, flying linguists, airborne linguists, right? So it was, you know, the training pipeline for that is you go through, um, and first of all, you go through basic training, right? And so you learn how to be a military member first. Then you go through, um, a school called the Defense Language Institute, where you learn, your um your language and you try to master that to the best of your ability to be able to do your job as kind of like an in the air translator uh slash interpreter right and then uh from there um you learn the cryptologic side of things um and this is um kind of gosh learning your target um learning your target in, in your mission essentially so this is kind of more like the classified aspect of things and then um, from there, um, you go and you learn how to be a flyer, right? How to, how, how does the aircraft operate? What are the emergency procedures? All those kinds of things. And then you actually, you, there's a, other aspects to other two. So you go through like survival training, go to survival school. What happens if you crash in enemy territory and all that kind of stuff. And then from there, you, um, you go to your base and you, you actually fly. That's the, that's the, um, apply aspect of what we talk about. Uh, what we were talking about earlier ultimately is, you know, all this content consumption, you know, over the course of like two years of training, and then you apply it. Right. And then it's heavy application from that point forward. So, you know, kind of the key components of that in my mind, in the way that I used to explain it to my, to my linguists is, you know, first step, you know, obviously be a great military member, right. To the best of your ability. And that's knowing the rules of the, of the air force and the, and the military and being, being fit to fight this is what we used to call it. Then from there, it is master of your language. And this was the a, a thing that I would tell them is that just because, you know, you did well in your language doesn't mean you're going to crush the mission. And so I think that could be applied here to what we're talking about right now is just because, you know, you're, you're, you know, charming and suave and you have some of the key, you know, those things that we see is like, you know, can be obviously really beneficial to being a great salesperson. Doesn't mean you're going to be a great salesperson. Do you have all those other components? Do you have, you know, um, you do know, you do need to know about your product. Right. You need, do need to know, have product knowledge. You do need to know, um, you know, and have those soft skills and, and know 
you know, what nuggets of value you should be using when, what type of striker questions are most, you know, you know, successful um, with certain types of clients and, and when to pull those out. So it, it's kind of a, a, a similar concept there. So, you know, the language aspect of it, then the cryptologic aspect of it was is really critical. And then from there, I used to call it the buttonology of actually using your equipment was a really key component of when you're in the air, knowing the technology and how it works to be able to do your job. So if you can tie all of those things together, right, um, then that makes you a great linguist. And so a, a great military linguist. And so that's kind of the parallel that I drew between that role that I had during my time in the military and then, you know, um, this ideal rep profile in the way that I was thinking about it. So thank you for asking me that. I know that was in the weeds with military that jargon. Was, no, that was, stuff. <laughs> that's, that's, that was a great example. Um, it actually made me think of too, kind of tying that your military experience tying together the sports world, the basketball example we gave of Kobe Bryant. I was hoping and you'd go there. Bringing, bringing it back to sales. I, I really think when I talk to in that, in the client success role, I'm in about these salespeople and, and what areas are the, the biggest challenge. It, it's coachability. And in all of the examples we've talked about is you can be the best military man. You can be the best basketball player, but if you're not coachable and able to adapt on the fly, and be willing to, to compromise, you're, you're not going to get anywhere. And again, maybe that is different when you're, you're someone that's been in the sales industry for 25, 30 years and you've seen it all. But for someone like me that, that's getting into it now, you don't know everything. And, and being able to adjust on the fly, whether that's through a program or as you're being onboarded, I just think that that's something that uh, I have seen is the biggest challenge from, uh, from leaders or companies that I talk to is making sure that their salespeople, although that they have they've learned the material. Are they able to be coached to it and, and to, to even elevate their games more? So I thought I'd add that tidbit in too. I like that. In terms of being coachable, I think that there's, there's probably a link between the way that the company assesses an individual's performance and their coachability, a direct link, right? Because so many companies, you know, come in for a performance review every quarter. We'll talk about what goals you hit and didn't hit. And that puts a person into a mode where their job and their function is defined by uh, KPIs. And so it's an external measurement that they're looking at. And I think that that conditions salespeople to not be looking at what did I do in order to lead to these results. And, you know, one of the difficulties with sales reps is that they're, they tend to be very defensive. And when you have a performance review, it's, well, this competitor was doing this and this market condition led to this and this customer was asking for this. And one of the, the frustrations that sales managers have is that, you know, salespeople are focused on external factors that they can't control. Those are real, right? And, and, and I think that we would get a lot further uh, in cultivating someone's coachability if those things were acknowledged as external factors that we can't control. But then that focus was brought back to what are the conversational skills that I am applying and how well am I applying them? And if a conversation is based on that much more than, you know, get me 15 opportunities in the pipeline by next week. I think you wind up with a lot more coachable people. And I think you avoid, you know, I know I've, I've, I've spoken with a couple of people who have said that, they, you know, they've, they've leveraged that approach in the past. Give me 15 opportunities in the pipeline by next week. Sure. Okay. I'll put 15 opportunities in the pipeline. What is the quality of those opportunities realistically, right? If this person is just trying to hit a metric, instead uh, uh, setting up metrics for an individual to be improving upon the skills that are necessary to create 15 opportunities in a week, um, 
if you're if you're approaching it that way as a manager, I think you're giving yourself a lot clearer of a path to being able to deliver coaching and have coachable representatives. Uh, this was a new idea that I kind of tried to tie together, but in summary, you know, metric-based performance review leads to uncoachable employees as much as it leads to broken pipelines. I think that's what I was getting at there. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Um, okay, so let's get let's get anecdotal. Um, so <laughs> let's get let's get it, let's dive into the anecdotes. So both of you guys work with clients in in sales all the time from you know sales enablement leaders that are you know kind of champions representing you know their organizations and trying to push um, their their entire team like what we like what we talked about what did you how did you refer to it michael going against the laws of nature um yeah. of trying to to you know uh boost their the entirety of their team to get them towards that i make everyone a top performer rep make everybody a top performer right so you guys both work with clients um in that way from like i said the sales enablement leaders to you know the the vps of sales directors of sales to you know inside sales outside sales reps all, all of the above. So you work with them all the time. What are some of the most uh, common areas that salespeople tend to struggle with mm. that are critical for an ideal rep? I'll jump in. And I, I think I beat the, I beat the punchline. And I, I truly think that where I'm seeing the most challenges are, it's that coachability factor. Are you able to have an open mind? Are these salespeople able to have the open mind that they don't know at all? And that's just from the, the, the experience I've seen um, and, and everyone's going to have their own. I think that at least from, from my experiences, if these, if salespeople are able to have that open mind and, and be able to have those conversations that Michael spoke on earlier, that that relationship between a manager or a coach and a, and a student or a salesperson, you're able to have an actual conversation and, and be open to it. It, it relates to my anecdote is my, as much as I wish it was in sales. I go back to my days playing basketball. Sure. I'm, I'm five, nine, five, 10. I'm five, 10. Let's not mistake it. Actually on an athleticism scale, I'm a five. So, I'm so in reality, that means you're like five, six, right? Like, yeah, exactly. You, see, you, you figured it out. And, and, but, but honestly, at the end of the day, and I'm playing at a, at a high level and I'm being, I'm being, I have to be coachable to my, my teammates have to be able to tell me what they need me to do that maybe have better skills. And you have to surround yourselves with coaches that know what they're doing probably more than yourself and being able to communicate and, and actually per, perform uh, under that, the, the pressure and with all of your other teammates relying on you, it comes back to sales. You have to do the same thing. Um, I would say that being able to, being able to perform in the sense of making the sales you're going to have to be able to communicate with your team and with your managers and with your, with your leaders. And if you're not able to communicate and, and be coachable in those moments, you're setting yourself up for failure in my opinion. Um, but that's where so I there's, see the there's a stuff. level of like humility kind of in a way that's, that's, that's kind of like required of, of salespeople to be able to, to grow and to get better. Right. And I think that that's applicable to anything. Right. Um, but how, how measurable is that though? Like, how do you, you know, cause we're, we're talking about building out an mm -hmm. ideal rep profile when we're going like down this kind mm -hmm. of list that in particular, probably sales enablement leaders are going to be, you know, looking out and building, um, how, how measurable, how do you, how do you look at that? Are you just kind of like, you know, as a sales enablement leader, 
you know, having these, having, knowing your people, I guess, and just being like, look, you know, um, Will is, you know, every time I talk to him (laughs) and provide him feedback, he's just like spitting in my face. I don't know. Um, so he's not very coachable. So we don't want to hire somebody like Will again. Um, is that kind of the thought process there or what do you you think, Michael? I, I think that, you know, you can have a metric that is, you know, uh, ability to uh, co-create and agree on new approach to uh, a given issue, right? You can have a metric where you give someone on a score out of 10, how capable are they of working with a manager and agreeing on a new way forward in the face of a particular issue. But I have to say, and applying, more, it, right? and applying it, salespeople, yeah. you got to be, you got to be humble and be open and, and know that you're never, you know, th- the article is never finished being written. There's always improvement. Right. There's always adjustment to make, but the responsibility for this salesperson coachability and, you know, humility, this is on the managers and on sales leaders. You need to be creating an environment where it is okay uh, for where the salesperson is safe to be assessing their own performance, honestly. Right. Um, <laughs> it makes me think of like, being in the hot seat for an interview. It's like, talk about your five greatest weaknesses. It's like, well, geez, I, you know, I work too hard and, uh, and, uh, I, I just don't accept anything less than the best for myself. It's like, you don't want those kinds of responses inside of a coaching conversation. Let's be honest here. And that means that we have to be able to step away from, you know, KPI based performance analysis. We need to create a space for the salesperson to feel as though they've made their excuses and that the manager hears them on why they didn't reach X goal that they had before them, right? Uh, maybe a piece of advice for managers, if you want to create more coachability in your employees, have a conversation with them, sit down with them, ask them, what sucks? What is making your role difficult right now? What is making it impossible for you to reach your goals? Externally, right? What's going on in the market? What are your competitors doing? You got you to gotta let the air out of that balloon. And then you can have a conversation with that person where they feel safe. They feel that you understand, look, it's not all my fault that I didn't reach my goal. I know that. I get that. Okay. Let's talk about what we can control and what we can change in order to move forward despite the mountains of challenges in front of you in terms of stakeholder teams rising and growing every single day, prices rising, you know, more in the past two years than they have in the past 30 years. Like there are some real legitimate issues that salespeople are having. Let them get it out there. Let them understand that you understand. Then they'll be able to assess themselves and be a lot more honest about where they can grow and get better. Um, so I had to, I had to step in for my salespeople. Here because <laughs> this really is, this, this, this is, you know, this is a leadership skill. This is a key leadership skill. And it's important for leaders to know it's their responsibility to create that environment where a rep can be coachable. I think that's a really good point too, Michael, um, to, to add on to where I kind of started and Michael picked up. I think that it's not only the student or the salesperson that needs to be coachable when they walk into that meeting. It is absolutely the coach has to, it's openness. Of course, the coach has to be open and and being able to adapt to what works. Uh, Again, maybe that's different. If the the coach is the best salesman in the world and he knows everything in the book, maybe that's the case. But if it's not, and you guys are going at it together, uh, it's an open line of communication. And like you said, Michael, uh, you just, you want what is best that is going to provide results. So uh, that yeah, open definitely. communication will, will share for that. Okay. So, no, that's a really good point of, of things that we're consistently seeing and working with clients, um, you know, uh, that, that their teams tend to struggle with. Right. Um, yeah. What are some, what are some other common areas that, that, uh, that you guys are seeing? 
So uh, I know you said it was anecdote time. Everything that I just talked about comes from anecdote. I won't tell the whole story, but you know, I had a manager go and ask someone what sucks. Then they found out some real problems that the manager wasn't necessarily aware of. They were able to collaborate on that, and his communication with that sales rep has completely changed. It's turned on its head, and now they're able to look at the skills that that person needs to be applying to get better. Um, but one area that I see, um, I had to throw that in there, one area that I see a lot of struggle with, especially in the types of companies uh, that we tend to help, which have highly technical product offerings, um, You know, for example, medical device companies, uh, biopharmaceutical manufacturing companies, these people, they are scientists for all intents and purposes, right? And it is really hard to be a scientist and also be a public speaker, right? That's why we don't see, uh, uh, well, uh, it's very difficult to be a scientist. It's, it's, a it's, while Neil, it's why Neil deGrasse, it's funny because I mentioned him earlier. Right. Neil deGrasse Tyson is so, you know, the Carl Sagans, et cetera, Bill Nye, the science guy. It's why they're so, um, you know, well known and loved and all that kind of stuff. Cause they could take a complex topic that, you know, most scientists have, have difficulty like translating that for the, for the layman and they can explain it in a really understandable way. Well, another question, who was the last engineer that you met that had wonderful soft skills and a warm bedside disposition? You know, it's like, no offense to you engineers, that's, that's, that's a joke, it's a generalization. <laughs> but the point is, is that we have people that are highly technically proficient that don't get to spend as much time on the emotional intelligence they need to know so much for their product. Um, and as a result of that, not only do they have a difficult time connecting with any stakeholders, but when you have a highly complex sales process where you're dealing with a CFO and procurement and a technical end user and a project manager and a manager of you know, the R&D team and the R&D team, you need to have a wide range of uh, uh, emotional plasticity to be able to engage with these stakeholders in the right way. You need to be able to not only be a scientist of your product, but a scientist of the different profiles inside of business and be able to communicate with them in their language uh, and, and, uh, and, and do so in a way that brings everybody into alignment. That means navigating organizational politics. As a broad topic, it's stakeholder management. If we were to break this down into a bunch more uh, measurable skills um, that you could build into an IRP, you know, uh, how well does this rep understand the buying criteria for a financial buyer or an economic buyer, like someone in procurement or a CFO? Um, how well does this person, obviously product knowledge comes into play, right? But again, we're coming back to those skills. How well does this individual uh, build rapport and trust? And that can be broken down into, uh, well, lots of things. But I think, I, uh, I think I've satiated my, my, my desire to get out some of uh, my answer for that question. <laughs> that sounded weird. All right. <laughs> no, that's, that's, that's good. That's good stuff. Yeah. So it sounds like, you know, that's, uh, for a, a lot of organizations that, uh, that we work with. And as you guys are kind of talking through it, um, coachability is, a, uh, a huge, you know, kind of, uh, problem area, um, for, for, uh, sales reps. I, um, I also, that, I hate the word. I hate the word problem. I call it a challenge. I want to, you call it a challenge. Oh, a challenge. I call I like it. It's that. more of a challenge for these people. I mean, I wouldn't call it that they're coming at us with that it's a problem, but I'd say it's it's probably a, one of the bigger challenges. Okay, so one of the bigger challenges is you know coachability. Um, the other the other thing that Michael that you mentioned is you know the ability to take a highly you know technical product and be able to articulate the value of that. 
right? So value yeah. value articulation, I think, is is different really, um, value so, articulation to a variety of stakeholders. You know, right? And being able to position it in different of, ways. Yeah. Right. Right. So you might you might say it differently to um, in articulate that value, obviously, differently to a to a CFO versus a CTO mm-hmm. versus you know. Um, and any of those roles. So you got to be prepared in, um, in knowing that and being able to articulate that value and not just be like, you know, Oh gosh, what's the example? It was the, it was the, it's the iPod example, um, of like, you know, when they introduced the iPod, it wasn't like, you know, Hey, this device, you know, has 16 gigabytes of, you know, of data and of storage and, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, like all the technical details, like people, that's not going to resonate with the buyers, right? So it was, you know, imagine having a thousand songs in your pocket, right? That's true value articulation. Now, all of a sudden I'm thinking about it. I don't give a, you know, a, a crud about um, <laughs> a crud. <laughs> I don't, I don't care <laughs> about, <laughs> I don't care about, uh, you know, 16 gigabytes, at least at that point. Right. Because now we all know what, now what it is. It's like, it's, it's common knowledge, but you tell me I can have a thousand songs in my pocket. And this is like me, you know, back in, in 2005, 2006, I'm like, Oh, that's so cool. You know, I, you know, I had to like burn CDs and, you know, do <laughs> all hey, that. My, Michael, does it, does it surprise you at all that the thing that gets Will the most excited is marketing? No way. No <laughs> way. But it's, it's, you know, it, yeah. it is, it, I mean, I guess you're right. It, it is a skill. Um, <laughs> it's kind of like a, the marketing skill for It's marketing for yourself. It's marketing yeah. yourself. It's marketing yourself as a salesperson. In, in, in marketing your product, right? Articulating that yeah. value, being able to use that. Um, you know, in that one-on-one situation, in that conversation, in in that email, in that, you know, in that meeting. So, um, no, that was really cool. That's cool. Um, sense thank making. you. It's sense making. I love that. Um, so we had the making anecdotes. Making it tangible to the senses. Yeah, definitely. Um, so we had the anecdote, anecdotes. Now let's, um, let's talk about aligning your organization to that ideal rep profile. So, so what does that mean? How do you align your, so you, let's say, you know, you've built out your, your IRP and you know, you have all those things that you say, you know, the coachability, the value articulation, the product knowledge, um, objection handling, et cetera, et cetera. You, you determine that these are all critical things. Um, what, how do you, how do you align your organization to that IRP? Well, I know, I I feel like we really have, we've gone through a lot of the ways that this, the, a lot of ways to connect your organization to this IRP, but what it comes down to, it's the full process. I think that it, it really does go top down the minute someone is hired in, whether they are a 10 year vet salesperson or they're a, a kid out of college sales, sales guy, you need to start that you need to even the playing field for everyone and create that common language that we've really built upon in this conversation we've had. And, and that starts with the onboarding process um, uh, involving those, the upper tier of the sales team. I don't know. It depends on the, on, on the organization. If it's a sales enablement officer, if it's a director of sales or a VP of sales, but aligning everyone in the process that it, and you guys spoke about it too, the word intentional being very intentional about, the information you're sharing with these these 
people or these individuals in the onboarding process so that they are able to have those skills to engage with the right stakeholders, to have all these other hard, soft skills that we're right. talking about. Um, but I, I think that's where it starts. It starts at onboarding. I think that that, okay. that is how you that transition happens the cleanest. Um, what so you as, you're, as you're talking, it makes me think, right? So the, the way that I, I, I see it and the way that I'm interpreting it is that the IRP in aligning your organization to the ideal rep profile, it's the IRP is kind of, can be really like a foundation, right? Mm-hmm. You're saying, first of all, it's what we talked about before. In anything mm-hmm. that you do, you need to define what excellent looks, excellence looks like. Mm-hmm. What does it mean to be successful in this role? What does it mean to be you know, a, a, a great sales uh, rep in our organization, right? Mm-hmm. And from there, if you're really, like you said, intentional about it, what are all the aspects of that? What are all, mm-hmm. you know, we need you to be able to, you know, obviously know our product really well. And that's mm-hmm. something that organizations, a lot of organizations do well um, based on what you guys have both said in your experience, um, product knowledge, a lot of times that's, you know, that's not an issue, right? Um, mm-hmm. Other things, you know, uh, value articulation, objection handling, um, you know, uh, being able to, you know, handle tense, um, you know, situations, uh, we, we talk about staying in the arena, right. Not mm-hmm. going into fight or flight in, you know, a tough, uh, during a tough negotiation, um, you know, not conceding on, um, on price so much, like mm-hmm. all of these types of things, um, I think are, you know, really critical as the mm-hmm. coachability, right. Those things that you guys mm-hmm. talked about. So the, we, we define that excellence, right. And then from there, we start, you know, we build upon that, right? So when you define that excellence, then from there, it's like, um, you know, you're hiring people that are likely, you know, able to, mm-hmm. to meet all of those things. Um, and I think that that can, can really shape your hiring process, first of all. And then mm-hmm. the people that you have in that role already, now you can provide them, you know, feedback on how they're meeting each one of those aspects of that, of that criteria. Right. So you can kind of walk them through. Okay. So, you know, Hey, Connor, you're not that coachable, right? Like (laughs) let's, let's work on that. Right. And being, you know, obviously you might not say it exactly like that, but I think being, you know, being direct in that feedback and in, in those coaching moments is, is really critical. And then, you know, I think that's, we talked about that whole process of sales readiness. So I see this as the foundation. And then from there you go on to, you know, building that knowledge, the application, aligning the content, like we talked about, you know, getting marketing involved, knowing what content needs to go where in the funnel and in the process, analyzing that performance, providing that coaching and feedback, and then, you know, correcting that behavior. Um, and, um, and, you know, I think, I think that's how, how I see it in terms of aligning an organization to, you know, an IRP. I do too. And you mentioned it, you kind of jokingly said it, but it is setting the tone. If you're approaching someone, especially getting the process and you're setting the tone in the sense of, Hey, not that you're not coachable, but I need you to be open to these ideas. I need you to be open to our process or we're not going to get anywhere because our process works. Like you said, that excellence, you have to define that excellence first, that, that process that creates excellence. And once you get there, if someone's not going to be coachable to that process, it's going to affect if they're getting hired or not and having that onboarding process. And I feel like for me being the client success guy, my onboarding definition might be different than someone else's. But when I think of onboarding, I think of what, what's, 
what programs or knowledge or skills are they given right off the get-go to give them the best chance to do well at my company. And it should, there should be a process in place. And a lot of companies do. Um, obviously, it might not be that uh, defined as a process. It might be different depending on what team they go to. Um, but again, I think the stronger that process is, the more efficient and more It helps flatten that curve. It helps flatten that curve. I, one thing that we talked about, we talked to, um, you know, a high level, um, you know, sales enablement guy at, uh, at a really, you know, at a, like a fortune 100 company that we work with. And, you know, the, the reality is, you know, a lot of times our goal is to really flatten that curve and thinking about things this way, you know, so, so strategically. And so, you know, methodically, um, and, you know, getting your new salespeople, you know, onboarded in a way and st- that they know exactly what they need to achieve to be as effective as their best guy, you know, um, and, you know, how do we get them to that quickly? You know what I mean? Efficiently. That 20%. Yeah. Quickly. Exactly. So, um, yeah, that's I, a great explanation, guys. Any other thoughts <laughs> before we sign off with our signature sign off for In the Trenches? just wanted to set out like a couple key points for aligning the organization and make it easy, you know, for, for managers and for company leaders to be able to do that. Um, the first is outlining where we want to go, right? That's the IRP. And then the second piece is being a salesperson for your representatives and sense making for them why it's worthwhile to get there. You get them engaged in their own development process. You show them that their own progress in terms of their ability to perform the skills that are outlined in the IRP why that benefits them, not only in the workplace, but in every environment. You know, sales is one of those unique roles where the skills that I apply here are the skills that I apply to my relationship. It's why I have the opportunity to get married. I have a great salesperson. No, just, <laughs> I'm totally kidding there. But, you know, you get people engaged with their own development process. You set wait, up wait, wait. systems. Wait, wait, wait. Was it the objection handling that you did well? What was that? You- That's what I was definitely <laughs> the objection handling. <laughs> But, you know, you outline where you want to go. You sell that person on their own development. You set up processes of accountability inside the company that require no effort from you, right? I, 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 say, this to pa- I say this to parents. I do say this to parents. You know, set up consequences that don't come from you because then the child doesn't have to get frustrated with you and there's something that's motivate- motivating them to do something a certain way and you get to still be their friend and somebody that's helping them to do things a certain way because it benefits them, you know, Hey, look, I'm so sorry, you know, representative a, uh, I know that you want my help on, you know, giant deal with X corp, but you haven't filled out a deal planner. You know, that it's a part of our company that you fill out a planner before you come to a coaching session. I need you to, to fill out that planner. And that piece right there is one super, super simple step. that's going to make it so that somebody is consistently using, assessing and refining the skills that you outlined that used to plan your sales dialogue. Um, and you don't have to tell them, you know, go read this piece of information. Um, the last piece maybe that I wanted to share for, for, for anybody out there that's in a leadership role in setting up learning processes for your people, it has to be applicable to their day to day. You can't be, you know, can't be, you know, Johnny has five apples and Sally has three oranges. No, how do we make this trade? It's gotta be relevant because otherwise people won't have belief in the skills that you're trying to sell them on. And if they're not sold on those skills, they're never going to engage themselves with improving and them getting better at, you know, developing a striker question is just going to be something that they're doing for you instead of for themselves. Um, So making it applicable, giving them tons of practice, selling them on the vision, showing how it ties into their own personal greater good, because, you know, let's be honest, most people are not showing up to work because they are deeply in love 
with their company and the industry that they work at. There may be those people out there, but if we're being human about this, these people are showing up to provide a certain value and get a certain value in return. And if you can show them that doing their job even better and even better, even better, even better is a major value add, not only for their financial success, but for their personal success, that's where you really start to create a growth engine for the people that develop your revenue. And then those people are your growth engine for the revenue that comes in for the company. I think I'm done. <laughs> no, that's, that's good stuff. You know, awesome. when I think about, um, you know, anytime in terms of like, you know, managing people, leading people, um, you know, teaching people that concept of, you know, it, it, explaining, you know, why it is you're doing what you're doing is, is so critical. Um, you know, you, a lot of times if you just tell somebody what to do, um, without, without explaining that, especially as, as adults, you know, it's like, you know, um, I think about the difference when you mentioned, you know, parenting, the difference between teaching a child versus teaching an adult, um, you know, that's a critical, critical aspect in like getting that to sink in and getting them to, to, to buy in, getting that buy in. So, all these executives talk about they want their employees to have ownership. How can you expect somebody to own something if they have no idea why they're doing it, why it's important for them and the group? Right. right. Definitely. Great points. Great conversation, gentlemen. Um, I promise a beautiful, I pumped up the, the, the signature sign off. Um, this is our first episode of this and we don't have one yet. So, um, we'll start, we'll start thinking about if you have any, uh, any thoughts or ideas, uh, dear listeners on, um, a, a cool signature sign off, let us know, uh, <laughs> email us at info at global performance group.com. And, um, uh, and let us know if you've got a cool, cool sign off for, uh, for, for our in the trenches segment. Um, but, uh, you guys got any ideas, anything cool? Should we have, don't like have explosions any... or something at the end or like, you know, <laughs> I don't have any ideas Fireworks. yet. Well, one, I definitely want to share, uh, I, I will share a fantasy football update because we'll, we'll see where I'm at compared to you the next time we end up putting one of these together. Also, could we have color coordinated any better without even talking to each other? Come on. I love come it. On. Gotta be kidding me. That's all. I got. <laughs> cool. All right. Well, thank That's you everybody. Thank you listeners. Um, and until next time, um, we'll see you.